Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, I'm Martin Bayfield and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. On this week's show, we look back at round three of the Six Nations as the tournament passed its halfway point. Were Italy's tactics at Twickenham clever or against the spirit of the game? What next for Wales? And is this a new dawn for Scotland? Here's the best of our Rugby Tonight insight and analysis from Ben Kay, David Flatman, Austin Healy and Sarah Elgin. Hi, Babes. Yes, here we are in Battersea, where the good and the great of world rugby have gathered this evening in support of the Matt Tampson Foundation. Say hello, everyone. The room is packed full of fundraisers, beneficiaries, stars of stage and screen, and we've thrown in a few rugby players as well, uh, which hopefully I'll get to speak to a little later. Now, you're all sitting there by your tables, looking forward to what I'm sure you think will be a fantastic evening. Just have a look in your programme, then you'll see who the host is. Austin Healy, everyone. Thanks very much for that really warm welcome. It's very kind. Two words spring to mind, Sarah. Primark sale. Um, ooh, all the ladies in the room going, oh, he got it right, though, didn't he? I've seen that dress. Six quid. Six quid it is. Um, the reason we're here this evening is to raise a lot of money from a legend of the game who's been doing it for a number of years. Matt Hampson, everybody. Put your hands together. Hambo, it's a special night. A thousand people here, which is a, a very large audience for Sarah. But uh, what's been going on this year with the foundation? We are busier than ever at the foundation, uh, raising money and supporting young people seriously injured through sport. You're doing a great job as well. How much has the foundation raised over the years so far? We have almost given out a million pounds. Fair players. Round of applause, a million pound out so far. And... I was cycling yesterday up a big hill in Leicestershire and I saw this massive building being constructed, the Get Busy Living building. Um, first and foremost, it is in the most prime location in Leicestershire. How the hell did you get planning permission? You know, Austin, it's, it's not what you know, mate. <laughs> and something more topical before we go back to the studio, the Rock Law at the weekend, how would you have dealt with it? Uh, I'd have gone straight through them. Straight through the middle. And uh, one more question. We're talking about all the legends in the room that have supported you. What does the foundation mean, you think, in terms of what it's given to the game outside of just rugby? It's given so much hope and belief to many, hasn't it? Absolutely. It's, uh, that's what it's there for, is to offer people hope, um, seriously injured through sports, and uh, 
support their families as well. Could you just do me one more favour? Could you just say back to you, Bafes, in the studio? Back to you, Bafes, in the studio. Matt Hansen, you are a remarkable individual. For more details about the foundation, you can find that information at Rugby Tonight. Now, you can't take your eyes off the Six Nations. It is a fascinating ride. Vern Cotter, Scotland, took on Wales at Murrayfield. Scottish fans continue to smile. They are going to be an almighty threat for England when they come down to Twickenham in just a few weeks' time. So let's just see how the players felt about that. It was an absolutely massive game for them. Huge morale boost. This is uh, what John Barkley tweeted. Thanks for all the support before, during and after the game. Atmosphere at BT Murrayfield was unbelievable. Best I have ever experienced. Uh, Flats, I mean, Scotland, they are... Glasgow playing with confidence, Scotland are playing with confidence. They are a side reborn, are they not? They are. They're, they're playing great stuff and it's kind, of, it's kind of no surprise if you've watched Glasgow, particularly in Europe. They've been fantastic and it isn't that they've scored a couple of wonderful tries. It's that every time they've had the ball, every time the opposition have had the ball, they've harried them and harried them. They're desperate to get the ball in hand. All of their players desperate to get the ball. And when they've got it, they play with such ambition. They're not just putting it through their hands, trying not to lose and trying to retain ball phase after phase after phase. They're trying to cut people to ribbons. And do you know what? For the first time in a while, respectfully, they've got the players to do it. And it's great to watch. It is indeed. Ben, if you're a Scotland fan, Tommy Seymour's try, not a problem with it. If you're a Welsh fan, possibly areas where there were some question marks. Yeah, a few people questioning whether there was a bit of blocking or shepherding in this move. There actually isn't. It's perfectly legal. Scotland create a four-on-two on the outside, and it makes Liam Williams on the outside step in. And because it's Liam Williams who changes his line to come in for the tackle, although he makes contact, because it's his decision to step across, that is then his fault, even though the ball goes behind the runner... That's a perfectly legitimate try and not blocking at all. In fact, actually, you could uh, suggest that the, the Scotland player doesn't block him anyway. It, that's, that's kind of what makes it a really good play because it makes Liam Williams, it isolates Liam Williams, makes him make a decision. He just picks the wrong one and you can't say Scotland get lucky, but they engineered that. Brilliant. We're so used to seeing that sort of move happen close to a breakdown. What you don't tend to see is in the wide channels where it's most effective. So really well worked from Scotland. So for maybe 50% of the armchair TMOs, they got that right. The rest just consigned that one to the bin. What about in the act of scoring? Tommy Seymour going over. If he hadn't scored that try, is there an argument for a penalty try, Ben? There shouldn't be, but in the current refereeing, yes, there is, because the initial contact is high. It goes over the shoulder. So I'm really glad the try was scored because it would have put pressure on the referee. That initial contact was high. So had he stopped him, although he was trying to go under his chest and lift him over the touchline, had he stopped him, an act of foul play would have stopped the try. So it would have been a penalty try. And if you can identify the player that has stopped a try, it's an automatic yellow. So although that wouldn't have been a yellow card for a high tackle in open play, theoretically... Had that not been scored, it would have been a penalty try and a yellow card. You could argue that Tommy Seymour would want the try on his books, but Scotland, if he'd played advantage, it could have been a penalty try and a yellow card as well. Easier kick. Referee, huge sigh of relief that he did score the yeah. try. He didn't have to make that call. Uh, Stuart Hogg showing off an impressive set of gunnage there. Oh, yeah. Very impressive indeed. They are good, aren't uh, they? For most people, Flats, he is, he is the nailed-on fullback for the Lions. Let's just hear what he has to say, because he is enjoying life now behind a pack which is giving him good ball. Let's have a listen to this. Yeah, it's, it's the Scottish way of playing, isn't it? Creating chaos, you know, um, you know, being ferocious in whatever we're doing. And say it all starts up front, our, our boys up front are, uh, are going well and, uh, you know, hopefully that'll continue. Um, and as backlines, you've just got to, to make the most of these opportunities and, uh, you know, we'll work hard during the week to, to see where, you know, England's strengths and weaknesses lie and, and see where we can exploit them. 
Well, Flats, that's as excited as a Scotsman get when, gets when he's excited. Yeah, he is. He is over the moon, isn't he? He's absolutely he chuffed bits. He can't believe how well things are going. Yeah, For go on then. <laughs> Fortunately, Tim Visser did show a bit of emotion when he went over for his try. Ben, we're looking at Scotland now as a real, real threat for winning the, the championship, which, of course, they still can do. People say we need a strong Scotland. We haven't seen it for a while. They're there. And what impresses me is they've, they're able to cope now when injuries come their way. Oh, they are. Look, they've got, they've got real strength and depth. They've got a hell of a lot of key injuries. You look at those that, that have gone from the squad. John Barkley, Fraser Brown, uh, massively uh, the bottom three, though, I think. They are world-class players, all of them in their, in their own right. To lose them and that sort of leadership in the team will test them in trying to win that championship. But they have, as you, as you said, new people have come in. They've bought into the way of playing and, and they look a strong, uh, really strong bet. Yeah, and Hamish Watson was so impressive when he came on. Well, we're talking about the present Scotland players. What about former Scotland players? What about former Welsh players? They're with Sarah. Who have you got, Sarah? Yes, indeed. I've got Craig Charms here and I've also got Adam Jones. I'm speaking quietly, which I know is a first because there are things going on behind me here and I don't want to disturb that. Evening, gents. How are you both? Very well, thanks. I'm going to allow you that smirk on your face purely because it was a fantastic second half performance from you guys on the weekend. Yeah, it's been a long time in coming. Um, we've had 10 years of hurt against the Welsh, so yeah, it was great to get the win. Uh, I was up at the Murrayfield. It was absolutely rocking on the weekend, before, during, after. And, uh, yeah, we deserved the win. I think the first half was a bit worried. But uh, second half, the boys came out and, you know, took our chances. Very, very clinical. No, they were clinical. And, and as Scotland got more confident, we, I don't know, we went into ourselves, Adam, did we? Yeah, I think I think if we had been held on to that ball the first half, and you know, we, if we'd taken no chances, I think maybe different. But to be fair, we, they were a lot better in their second half, and uh, which isn't, as you said, ten years since we've lost our best, so it was a bit of a shock to us. But um, yeah, no, they were they were a good side now, and they were well coached, and uh, you know, we can see there's a lot of uh, confidence there. I want to ask you a quick question because I know Alan Wynne Jones is getting a little bit of stick in Wales because obviously they didn't go for that kick and then there was a bit of, I don't know, disagreement on the pitch that the kickers didn't want to go for it. Have you been in a position like that? I mean, you've played under Alan Wynne Jones. What sort of a captain is he and what do you make of all of that? Um, oh, look, I think, like, there's a lot of stories about being disrespectful by Dan Bigger and, uh, you know, if Lee didn't want to take the kick, he didn't want to, you know, he does, he's the kicker at the end of the day. But, you know, I think it's, uh, I think it's wrong to sort of criticise Alfred. I think, you know, he's got to listen to his kicker. He's not the one who's going to poke it over from 40 metres. Is he? So it's, um, well, look, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, we, we, if we'd scored that try, you might have been a different outcome. But, you know, we give a penalty away and then the rest is history, isn't it? So. Exactly. We'll stay on the kicker theme because I want to talk to you, um, Greg, about uh, Finn Russell because he probably had the best 40 minutes he's had in a Scotland jersey, didn't he, on the weekend? Oh, without doubt. I think uh, I was a bit worried going into the game about his goal kicking. He doesn't do regularly for Scotland, but he's done it a lot for Glasgow. And, you know, Greg Laidlaw being injured, so yeah, such a immaculate 90% kicker. Um, I thought we might miss moment. that in Murrayfield. It was a windy day, um, but he was immaculate, I think, seven, eight out of eight. And that one he knocked over to go, um, you know, more than 14 points ahead was fantastic. And he's pleased with a smile on his face, and I love that. You know, he makes mistakes, but he brushes them aside and just gets on with it. And he's, uh, yeah, he's on fire at the moment and uh, yeah, really pushing for a place in the Lions too, I think. Yes, indeed, I'm sure he is. Gents, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to leave you go back to your tables now and enjoy the rest of the night. Thank you, guys. Face back to you lot in the studio. Sarah, thank you very much indeed. Good job, guys, that we're interviewing these players at the start of the Matt Hatton. Especially Craig Chalmers, yeah. Especially Craig Chalmers, <laughs> not at the end of it. That would be a very loose interview, very loose indeed. Let's move on with the other big games through the Six Nations. Finally, Ireland finally had a game in Dublin. They're up against the giants of the French pack, and there was pressure, Flats. France were a big 
big team. Every team's encountered that against them. Arnold able to cope with it. They're not, and I think there's, it's very easy to say, right, they're really big, let's move them around a bit. But the problem with the French this year is they've actually played quite well. This pack has proved to be, you know, mobile as well as hostile on occasion. So I think it was a really tough assignment for Ireland. They did feel the pinch up front a little bit. But ultimately, I think they operated at a tempo that France couldn't live with come the end of you know, sort of the final quarter. And I, I think it's, you know, I'm, complete, I'm completely biased about this. I want Ireland-England to be the game at the end because it's just going to be such a fantastic spectacle. So I'm pleased for Ireland that they managed to... They managed to sort of retain that as potentially the big dance at the end. I thought the difference between the two sides were the halfbacks. I think the, the control that Murray and Sexton put on the game when they were under massive pressure, it was a, I was there, it was brutal. The, the collisions were something else. And at times Ireland were under massive pressure and that's when 9 and 10 conserved the energy of their big forwards by just lifting it over the top. That little dink over the top that Murray put in into that corner when he was going backwards under pressure, that was the sig signal to me that Ireland had control of this game despite... France throwing the kitchen sink at The important thing there, Ben, when you talk about Sexton, is Joe Schmidt's trust in that player. And when a player like that returns to a team, it lifts the team, doesn't it? Because he hadn't played a lot of rugby going into this game. No, it's a, it's a, it's a big ask, isn't it? But, but he, he controls the game so well he, because he makes good decisions. So he buys himself a bit of time. And yes, we've seen some injury concerns from him, particularly around his head and some of the collisions when people run at him. But he's also intelligent enough to be able to take himself out of the danger by taking his team out of the danger and clearing the lines. So, look, he's a, he's a competitor and, you know, he's a, he's a bit like Owen Farrell is to England. You, you sort of, he's, he's one player that you want to put on the pitch because he'll drag the rest of the team with him and some way will find a way to win. And interesting developments, Flats, as far as French rugby is concerned. It's almost as though they can smash through the, the castle walls, but they can't quite pick the lock at the moment. And mm. Bernard Laporte, now in charge of the French Federation, almost poacher-term gamekeeper, is coming yeah. up with some new plans for French rugby. Do you think they're going to work? Well, this whole... We, we don't quite know this whole sort of centralised contract idea. It works well elsewhere, and it, there's a lot of... From an English standpoint, we wonder... And I guess Scottish and Irish standpoint, we wonder what it's going to do. Is it going to make it less attractive for our players from, say, the Aviva Premiership to go over to France? I think it might well make it more attractive because these French clubs are going to have less... If their players are centrally contracted to the French Rugby Union, they're going to have less control over their players, ultimately less access to their players, which is what they're very keen on. So I think there's every chance that it, it would help the French national team. I think it probably wouldn't help us, but why would Bernard Laporte care for one second about helping us? He wouldn't, would he? So... I feel, I feel like they've got to try something because the national team is making strides for, but they don't. They look more competitive than I thought perhaps they might at the beginning of the Six Nations, but they still don't seem to be in a shout with being even top three. They would have had a, a real workup call, Ben, in the two games. Okay, they beat Scotland, they lose to Ireland. So against Scotland, a small country with a small playing pool, Ireland, bigger playing pool, but with these central contracts. So they'd be looking, thinking, well, we can't beat the minnows, we can't beat these central contract guys. What can we do? They, they seem to have lost their identity and their way forward, France, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and I think that's what they're trying to address with trying to make sure there are more French players getting game time in the, in the top 14. And, you know, the owners that come in and put all this money in don't think, well... The easiest uh, way to get my team to the top quickly is to go pinching All Blacks and, and Wallabies and, and Springboks. So, you know, there's a bit of a warning there to, to the Premiership as well. We, we've seen the marquee, that second marquee player come in and more and more the likes of Kirtley Beale coming over here. 
but I, I still think there's an element that we're not at that stage with the Premiership yet, and England are benefiting from having a very strong strength in depth. You looked at how many people are coming through in the England squad, English qualified. At the moment, it's working, but it's something that we probably need to keep a check on. England chat still to come. Let's concentrate, though, on the happy Irish. And Austin is at the Matt Hampson dinner, and he's got Bob Casey with him. I certainly have, Bafes, and uh, Bob, lovely to see you. How are you? Hi. How are you? You're, gro you're grown, have you? Just a wee bit. We're going to talk Ireland, but back in the studio, they're talking about the Six Nations. Um, first of all, let's talk about London Irish. Uh, the playoffs this season, which it looks like you're definitely going to be in. Um, how's it all going? Look, we're in a really good place. We're unbeaten as things stand. Brendan Venter and Nick Kennedy have done a fantastic job. The environment is super. The staff and the players have been first rate. So we're in a good place, but as you well know, it goes down to the month of May and the playoffs. Yeah, well, good luck with all that. Let's flip uh, all our attention now to the Six Nations. And this Irish, the spine of the squad you were talking to me about, is really where its strengths are. And how does that work and how does everyone feed off it? Well, it just gives everyone around them great confidence. You look at Rory Best, you've got Devon Toner, Jamie Heaslip, Murray and Sexton, and then Rob Carney at the back. That's as good a spine as there is in world rugby. And they're pretty much all British lines. So that's going to give them great confidence. They've still got to get over the Welsh. I know what you've said about them earlier on, but the, the, the Welsh in Cardiff on a Friday night will be tough. But I believe if they get to the, the Aviva, uh, having beaten Wales, they can go and beat England purely because of that spine. And they'll know how to win big games. How much have you been drinking so far this evening? With that answer, it sounds a little bit unbalanced. But let's let's presume then, or let's assume that uh, uh, Wales lose to Ireland. Is this battle between the coaches as important as the players? Do you think Eddie Jones versus Joe Schmidt? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you come down to this level, as you well know, it's going to be coming up with that one or two plays that is going to unlock the defences. And the defences are so good at Six Nations. And you'd have to say Joe Schmidt's record of picking plays that unlock good defences is second to none. So you would imagine he's got a plan up his sleeve how to unlock that big, massive English pack and that defence, which is so good. Very, very quickly, Ireland, England, have you got any spare tickets? <laughs> have you seen what they're going for? No chance. Good luck. Now, England welcomed a struggling Italy to Twickenham. The Azuri's place in the Six Nations were being questioned by some. They needed a big performance, no surprise then. They came up with something just a little bit different. Here's Alistair Eakin with a report from England's training camp in Oxford. The dreaming spires and classical architecture of Oxford. A world away from the chaos and confusion of Twickenham Stadium last Sunday and the latest stop on England's Six Nations Championship trail. They'd come here for a change of scenery as they begin preparations for the Calcutta Cup. But as they go through their drills here at St Edward's School, they cannot escape the talk of Italy, of ruckless rugby and of their 40-minute befuddlement at the shock tactics of the Azzurri. The media world went crazy over the madcap antics at Twickenham, so today we've come to take the temperature of England and Eddie Jones in the aftermath with some of those who follow their every move. I asked Paul Gustard in November about this tactic and he said that they were aware of it and had plans for it. No team's ever done it for a full 80 minutes, but it has been done. And, it, and as a lot of coaches have said, the solution is very simple. You just simply pick and go and run straight through the ruck. So it's a real concern for England's lack of leadership on the, on the field that they couldn't get a grip quicker with what was going on. What about the ramifications? How likely do you think it is that World Rugby might do something about it to either amend or indeed just clarify the ruck? I, I personally don't think they have to do a great deal. It, it, the whole point about it was the element of surprise. Now, once that element is gone, 
Well, it's quite easy to counter, isn't it? We, you know, we've all been sitting there dissecting it for the past four days. You, you know, there's the obvious ways of doing it. And uh, the surprise, really, was that England didn't cotton on faster. Now they have. It was the same game was happening this, this weekend. Italy chose the same tactics. You get a very different outcome. Well, with all the storm around the ruck, it almost feels as if England's campaign has been derailed in some way. It is worth remembering they scored six tries, they got the bonus point, and they are sitting on top of the Six Nations Championship. And whilst they were certainly unconvincing against Italy on Sunday, surely they'll be a better team for having had to work through that very uncomfortable situation. We'll find out when a turbocharged Scotland come to Twickenham for the Calcutta Cup. Ben, you mentioned that Roman Poit had a chat with Conor O'Shea and with Brendan Venter before the game where the, the, Irish man, uh, the, uh, the Italian management would have said to him, this is the tactic we want to do. So he went on the field to play knowing it was going to happen. Referees don't always have that luxury. What are the problems that well, referees are going to face? I think there are massive problems if this carries on in the same way that Italy used it, that it was happening all the time. Because a lot of refer referees have got so much to look at that a lot of what they... Uh, you know, um, narrow down their thought processes down to assumption and, and presumption because they will see things that they think are going to be rucks and then they've got to start checking back feet and then they're checking various other things. They're checking whether these guys have been legal. So we've seen instances where the referee... And actually, I went back and watched Roman Poit's uh, first few rucks. I watched Nigel Owens from the, the, the game on uh, the Saturday, France against Ireland. And we had situations like this where there was no ruck... Uh, because the, the defenders were on the floor and the referees out of habit were turning around and saying, keep back. Now, that was because England thought they had to stay behind the back feet. So they were edging here. When Italy actually moved into position, it made it obvious in the referee's mind, oh, that's that tactic. A lot of the game is based on assumptions and you know, we've seen it with the put-in at the scrum. Now it's sort of fed a little bit. Everyone just sort of seems to play to the same laws and, and that's where we've got a bit of an issue. So that conversation he had with, with Conor O'Shea and Brendan Venter meant that Roman Poit was forewarned, forearmed. He could make clear decisions. That's not always going to be the case. Um, Flats, there was a lot of uproar about this. This is what Eddie Jones had to say. If that's rugby, then I'm going to retire because that's not rugby. Yeah. Once you lose the ruck, you don't have a game anymore. There was no rugby. Eddie Jones was incandescent after this. This is what Brendan Venter said. Uh, he, of course, is the defence coach and occasional loon within the Italian setup. <laughs> the object of today's plan was to beat England, not to keep the score down. We needed turnovers. We got them. We consider it an insult if someone thinks we turn up to keep the score down. We are a young team that will grow. Give us time. Now, on a very, very sad note indeed, uh, over the course of the weekend, the tragic news of the death of Ellie Norcott started to filter through. She died on the Saturday night. A proud Osprey who represented Swansea ladies, Ospreys women, Wales women and Wales sevens has left us. She was just 20 years old. Our thoughts are with the family and friends of Ellie at this very sad time. Well, some Premiership news, Babe. Steve Diamond has been given a six-week touchline ban by the Rugby Football Union after pleading guilty to verbally abusing match officials after Sale's Anglo-Welsh Cup game with Harlequins on the 3rd of February. Diamond is serving three weeks of a suspension immediately, with the remaining three weeks suspended until the end of the 2018-19 season to be activated only in the event of another similar offence. He was also fined. Moving on, Northampton Saints have announced the signing of Springbok scrum half Cobus Reinach ahead of next season. And Yorkshire Carnegie captain Ryan Burrows will be playing for Newcastle Falcons next season. Burrows becomes Newcastle's fifth confirmed new signing. 
Wasps have announced that Fijian international centre Gabi Lovonbovalavu will join the club ahead of the 2017-2018 campaign, campaign. And I might need to work out how to spell, uh, say campaign and his name as well. Scottish international back row forward Josh Strauss has signed for Sale Sharks on a three-year deal. Josh is currently playing for the Glasgow Warriors. And news today from Ulster that Paddy Jackson has signed a two-year contract extension. He'll remain at the Kingspan Stadium until the summer of 2019. Bates. Great stuff. Bravo. Good work on campaign. Tricky word, that one. OK. Well, it's pretty lively at the top of the Viva Premiership, but let's focus on the bottom, because that is where the latest story is. Bristol, with that win over Bath, gives them a real lifeline. Now just two points separating them and Worcester Warriors. That game at six ways. Worcester Warriors against Bristol, one of our live games on Sunday, is an absolutely crucial one in the development of this season's Aviva Premiership. But up at the top end, Wasps looking very strong indeed. Exeter move into the top two. Crucial if you want a home semi-final in the playoffs. Saracens down to third. A lot of life left in that battle. Leicester Tigers now within a point of the top four. And that dotted line, why is it there? Well, it is there because it is significant because the top seven are the teams that can all qualify for the Champions Cup. If you're in seventh place, apart from a few ramifications over who wins uh, competitions this year, you will go into a playoff to make it through into the Champions Cup matches. So, Flats, whether you are a fan or not of relegation, you cannot ignore the fact that it makes life very, very interesting indeed. Yeah. Such an important win for Bristol. Yeah, amazing. So I think Worcester have picked their form up a little bit. They didn't win at Saints at the weekend, but the arrival of Hugard has seen them improve. So I think Bristol needed to answer that and make sure it remained competitive. And I think that Bath were particularly poor at the weekend at Ashton Gate, but they were poor because Bristol put so much pressure on them. And I think there were areas in the game where Bath were clearly dominant, the driving more often in the set piece. They didn't capitalise on those. And I think from a Bristol point of view, What's really important, it's not particularly technical, but it's kind of an emotional thing, is that they spent all that money on so many good players. They almost put as much money as they possibly could on that field, the most experienced, their highest value players, and they delivered to a man. Um, the, the Peronisi, the Jordan Cranes, they delivered. And, you know, someone that Gavin Henson hasn't played for ages, was just, he was just fantastic, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I thought, again, a bit like what I was talking about with Ireland, the, the halfbacks were probably the dif difference. I don't think Bath's halfbacks played particularly well. And Henson was in fine form. He, um, he did a bit of everything, really. It's just that good decision-making. Nothing overly flashes. Kicking was superb. He had his distance, his tactical kicking, then dropping back into the pocket. His, again, his team had been flogged, hitting a brick wall for a number of phases, so he drops a goal from that sort of different distance. And then he goes to the line and he buys time for those around him and almost drags defenders onto him. And then he always gets the, that little offload away. So that was, uh, you know, over recent years, that was one of the best performances I've seen Gavin Henson. It's great to see him back fit and, and, and playing in the Premiership. Ben, you would have you went on Lions tour with you in 2005 with Gavin Henson. It's so easy, I guess, to view him as this slightly tango-faced um, playboy. But at the heart I, of I've it, never Adonis. Adonis. <laughs> Adonis is another word. Um, he's a rugby player first and foremost. He wants to play rugby. He's finally back on a pitch. He hasn't played for so long. So, I mean, yeah, it, I think there must have this been... the important sort of bringing what he does naturally back out. Maybe there must have been times you know, when, he, when he questioned whether he'd, whether he'd come back, whether, that's, um, you know, whether he was going to get a break at any time. It's good to see him back fit. And he's an exceptionally talented player. I think maybe at times in the past, he, he tried to live up to his reputation and try things. You know, he'd try that miracle pass all the time. And sometimes the players around him weren't as good as him to read it. That's part of the problem. I thought in that performance... 
He, he just had that control and he only threw passes when they were definitely on. But he would, as we saw in those little breaks, he would go right to the line and force defenders to make mistakes and then put the ball into the space for the runners. And that's the difference between Bristol winning games because they're getting on the front foot and Bath unable. Bath have got an enormous pack that are very good at making dominant shots. They couldn't make them because they were going backwards. They were on the back foot. Yeah, we saw Gavin Henson, the rugby player, and he is quite a beast when he's uh, in the mood for it. Um, Flats... Is there enough in the tank for Bristol to survive this Premiership season? I, I, th I think if you look at their run-in, I, I, st I still think Worcester are going to stay up and Bristol aren't. But if you look at... A few round of applause from Bristol. But if you look at <laughs> Worcester fans behind me, but if you look at Bristol's run-in in particular, it, it's kind of a separate conversation, but I don't think they handled the four-week Anglo-Welsh-European um, period very well. I don't think they gave... They've got about 585 professional players at Bristol now, uh, more than the other Premiership teams put together, apparently. Austin said he's a mass mathematical genius. I think they should have just given guys complete time off, whatever. It didn't happen. I think that they've... It, it, obviously, it depends how it goes week on week, but I think you look at Bristol's running and I think you look at games like Exeter Chiefs away, Saracens away, let's keep it real. I don't think they're going to win... They're not going to win those games they're, because they don't have good enough players at the moment. They're not in good enough form. I think it's very unlikely they're going to get bonus points in those games. So, from, purely from Bristol's point of view, because that's who we're talking about, I wonder if you don't field second, third, fourth, they could field a fifth team down there probably, field an out-and-out second-slash-third team for those games. People won't like it, but you go full steam into the head, in, into the games in which you're way more likely to get points and you set your stall it's out. difficult because we thought that before the game, if they didn't win uh, probably two games before the 26th of March... They were, they were relegated. They've won one of them now. They've put themselves two points away. So what Platts is talking about is difficult because it's probably going to come down to losing bonus points if they are going to stay up. If they win one more, they're still not safe, even if they go two points ahead of Worcester, because Worcester will pick up points as well. So do you gamble and try and win two games, or do you try and win one more and then keep playing that team and try and pick up some bonus points? Yeah, it's tough, because the, the players you want to go full steam ahead for the last six games, loads of those guys played games in that four-week period when perhaps they might have got a bit of rest, because they're senior players and, you know, and they've, they've come here it's sort of in the twilight of their career. So come to Bristol in the twilight of their career. So it's a very difficult balance. Very difficult. At the top end of the table, it is Wasps continuing to, to hold into that top spot. And Flats, they got a certain Mr Jimmy Gopeth. He, every team would love yeah. Jimmy Gopeth. I mean, yeah. Every challenge that's laid in front of him, he picks up and, and, and runs with. Yeah, I'd say if you, if you had to say who are Wasps' best players, you'd say Cipriani, you'd say Launchbury. I, I'm not sure there's a player more vital to currently the best team in England, top of the league team, than Jimmy Gopeth. He seems to do everything. It's not that he has loads of gas. It's not that he's the best passer in the world. He doesn't nail people in the tackle. He's, I think he's just an all-round player that every team needs a heartbeat. And often that is, it can be tangible and it can be intangible. And I think there's something about him playing that galvanises Wasps like no other player they've got in their squad. I think he's gone from being a pretty canny signing to being absolutely vital if they're going to win this league. Guys, let's, uh, let's focus on uh, Leicester-Exeter to start with, Ben. Leicester, a sharp improvement in form. Is that climb going to continue? Uh, this is the key game, I think, for Leicester because they had that period over Christmas where they played the top three teams. Um, they had Saracens, uh, Exeter and Wasps and they got beaten by them all. And after that, things got better, but I don't think anyone at Leicester's kidding themselves that they weren't playing the top teams, they were playing some of the teams further down the table, So, and everyone was below them. So this is the first time they're meeting a side that's above them in the league, and we'll see 
where they are since Richard Cockrell left and Aaron Major's been in sole charge, where that progression has got to. Their confidence is much, much higher than it was pre-Christmas, which rugby is, you know, confidence is vital in rugby, but they're going to face a very strong side and it's Welford Road. So you could almost flip that. If they lose it at Welford Road to Exeter, it'd be very hard to recover from that. Matamur is our guest on the day, so he's clearly not playing, but key names are coming back for Leicester Tigers. What impact's that having? Yeah, I, I think... It's all generally part of the feel-good factor and the confidence increasing. Um, you've got the likes of, over the last couple of weeks, uh, Veanu coming back to Lisa Veanu was, was massive because Leicester at times have struggled to find that creative spark and, and he individually gives that. JP Peterson as a, as a finisher as well coming back in. I think if they can maintain that momentum with all the names that are starting to come back, they're talking about Tamua being back before the end of the season, then Leicester are actually in quite a good place chasing down the people above them. If they lose this game, lose that bit of confidence and they don't get those players back quite as quickly, it's going to be tough. Flats, Bath take on Wasps, um, but uh, that's clearly a big, big game. Yeah. But let's look at uh, Bath and Leicester together because these probably are the two teams battling it out for that fourth spot in the Premiership. Um, how do we see this one developing? Yeah, it, it, kind of, it kind of feels like five going into four at the moment in terms of that top four. And you... You look at those run-ins and you know, not, neither side, frankly, has it easy. But you look at Leicester against Bath on the 8th of April um, at Twickenham, whether that, whether that removes Bath's home advantage or not remains to be seen. But it's just, as Ben said, this is, a, this is a key weekend for Bath because they lost a game they were definitely expecting to win at Bristol last weekend. Um, Wasps are, apart from a blip last week at Sale, have been the former side in the country. So that could be a fascinating match. But I think we're going to find out very quickly whether Leicester are in the, coming into the form we think they're coming into. And we're going to find out whether Bath have actually been in great form, whether they've been finding ways to win and scraping results. So it, it's a fascinating period. And it is five into four, which makes the top end of the table great to watch as well as the bottom. Ben, what about the battle of the firefighters? Alan Solomons, Gary Gold, Bristol against Worcester at Six Ways. One of our live games. How do you see this one developing? Uh, Bristol obviously bouncing back off that, that Bath win and, and obviously that will give them enormous confidence. I think um, you know, Gary Gold didn't get that win, although uh, Worcester played quite well at Northampton, so that could be the key difference, uh, but Worcester have home advantage. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. We'll be back again in a few weeks. See you then. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch Sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 